As you're opening up to Scripture, you can open up to the book of James. If you've been with us, you know uh, that that's where we're going. But this fall, um, all fall, we're kind of spending our time through this little letter um, at the end of the New Testament uh, called James. And um, as we've said many times before, but by way of a kind of reminder, refresher, is James is a highly practical, highly applicational, um, highly uh, sort of give me the next step uh, sort of uh, book. And um, it is uh, uh, really um, been, uh, for some of you, I know this is kind of how you function. And so you are all about like James. This is like, just give it to me straight. Like, tell me what, what it is and, and, uh, and I, can, I, I can do well uh, with that. Well, this morning is no different. Um, we are talking uh, this morning, uh, the, the topic today affects all of us in a major way. Uh, this morning, we're talking about the tongue. And uh, that's kind of the uh, way that James uses and kind of refers to our speech and the things that we say, uh, the words that come out of us. And um, I wanted to begin with sort of a stat as to how many words, how often we speak. You've probably heard some of these stats or, or numbers before. And so admittedly, I didn't spend a super long time trying to look this up. I just kind of typed into uh, the Google machine, like how many words, you know, does someone speak in a day? And what it shot back very quickly was kind of all across the board. It said, uh, one study said like there's like 2,000 words. Somebody else uh, said that there was like six to 7,000 words. I was like, 2,000, that can't be right. And then um, six to seven, I'm like, that sounds a little bit more, like I don't, I don't really count my words. I don't think you do either, but I'm like, that seems a little bit more uh, kind of normal. But then other studies say as many as like 16,000. And so the reality is this, they're probably all right. Some of you are in that side of the uh, spectrum where you are the like kind of 2,000 words, and maybe a 2,000 words, like that's like a, that's a talkative day for some of you. Um, some of you, that is you. Some of you are married to that person, and uh, you, you would wish that they kind of would share a little bit more because most likely if you're married to that person, you're on the other end, you have the 16,000 words. And maybe that's part of the why they're not getting many words out, all right? I'm just kind of saying, maybe there's not, you know, as many uh, kind of gaps in that. But we tend to sort of be on, you know, different sides of this. And, um, you know, we're, we're experiencing um, uh, just a whole new uh, uh, or kind of a unique season in life with words in our house. Um, some of you who uh, have had little ones or have little ones can relate to this. But Levi, our youngest, is four. And that is probably peak, like, word usage time. He's just kind of testing out, trying out all of his words. If you have kids younger than that, this day's coming, all right? I know you want them to talk more now, but just careful what you wish for, okay? Because um, Levi right now, he is like full of words. Um, the other day, he says, Dad, I like talking a lot. And I'm like, yeah, you do, bud. Like he, he is like very much loves to um, talk. And, and I know, like I know as a dad, like I'm going to look back on these days, these years, and I'm going to miss this time because um, the other day I was in the garage with him, I was working on something, and I invited him. He said, I said, Bud, I'm going to go work on a project. You want to come out and help, you know, be daddy's helper? He's like, yeah, I do. You know, so he came out, and he's just like chatting away, chatting away. And after a while, finally, I was like, dude, I was like, I know I'm going to regret this later, but can we just like be quiet for a little bit and just kind of work in silence next to each other? And let's just use the, and he's like, Why? I was like, ah, oh, forget it. Never mind. Okay, like, it's just like a bad idea. Just go ahead. You keep telling me what you, I mean, he just like has all these words to say. The reality is this, is that, again, doesn't matter if you use a little or a lot, um, you have words that you speak throughout the day. I mean, my job requires, I, I, I use a lot of words. I'm with people a lot. I have a lot of meetings. Um, sometimes, much to my wife's dismay, I'll get home and she's like, hey, um, you want to talk about this or that? And I'm like, 
Maybe I used up all my words today. I have none left. They're, they're, they're gone. Um, but but we, we use words in so many different contexts and ways. And, 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 and if we're not careful, I think one of the things that we can tend to do is uh, to not show care in the way that we use our words or to be intentional in that. And we can all, I don't have to kind of, you know, have you dig or think too hard, but probably all of us can think about um, words that have been spoken to us that have left a destructive mark on us. They have scarred us in some way. They have um, tore us down, left us feeling hurt, forgotten, neglected, whatever it might be, misunderstood. There are words that we have received, and, and still to this day, it might be years and years later, and you can still think back to those words that were spoken. On the other side of it, some of us can think back to times when maybe it was just even a simple phrase or a couple of words were spoken, and there was so much life and so much encouragement, so much wisdom that was contained in words. It's amazing the power that words have. And so to that end, James wants to make sure that the church is being careful the followers of Jesus are being careful in the words that they're choosing to use. And so, again, you might come in here, and, and on any given Sunday, maybe, maybe the, the passage that we're in or kind of the topic we're talking about kind of hits in a different way. Today, my guess is that all of us have something that God has for us here today. All of us use words on a regular basis. Some of us maybe need to use more words on a regular basis. James has a lot to say about that, and... Uh, I'm excited and think it's going to be helpful for us where we're going in this. And so as, as James kind of unpacks and talks about this, I think what we're going to find is that it is in direct contradiction to where our culture is. I would say in general, and I think you would agree with this, our culture is pretty loose on its standard for the tongue. I think this begins from a young age. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty cool, I think, in middle school uh, to sort of like try out new words, you know, and kind of use that. And then like... I'm, I'm pretty convinced that, that middle schoolers, even high schoolers, kind of get in this phase where it's just it's cool to like just not try and be very creative with the words that they choose, uh, as evidenced by a couple times this week. I mean, uh, there were some kids that came over to the park, and I was trying to be like cool neighbor park guy, because um, it was pretty late at night, and they were being super loud, and they were only using like a handful of words very loud, and I could just kind of hear those words, and you're kind of picking up what I'm throwing down, right? They weren't like nice words. They weren't like, you know, just encouraging everybody in the neighborhood. And, um, and I'm like, man, I remember being a kid. I remember, you know, being out late and thinking it was, like, kind of cool. And it wasn't even that late. It was for me, but not for them. But, and, and so I just kind of let it go. But I, I was just struck by, man, they just, they need a dictionary. Like, there's other, or thesaurus or something. Like, there's other words that, that can be used. Similar thing happened. I was at a, my daughter's volleyball game, group of middle schoolers. And just the words that were coming out of their mouth, there was just no care or thought to it. And the, what I think happens is, is that we learn to, you know, I think temper that, and then in certain settings, we, we tend to kind of control that. So my guess is that uh, whatever your work setting is, that there's, there's a level of professionalism that happens, like when you're in the meeting or you're in front of the team or you're interacting with the customer or the client or whatever it might be, you know, there's, there's a professionalism to our words. But then you get into a different setting, and it's like all bets are off, right? You, you're, 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 you're in that, that break room or you're um, kind of out with the buddies or you are, um, you know, it, coffee and you're kind of like, there's just a looseness to our words, I think, in general in our culture. So what James is saying kind of flies in the face of that and is going to, uh, I think, challenge us with some different thoughts here. So all that being said, 
What we are going to try and do this morning is unpack and see for, for, um, for us what James has uh, to teach us, what God has for us this morning about the tongue. And um, I'm going to kind of structure it this way. I think there's four truths that J- James shines his light on uh, here uh, regarding the tongue. Um, let's begin in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Uh, let me just read the first couple verses together. It says this, Now many of you, uh, not many of you rather, should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. Here's the first truth that James has for us about the tongue. It's this, is that the tongue is difficult to tame. It's difficult to tame. That is the reason why he is beginning with this instruction that that not many of you should become teachers. A little bit of context, um, not many uh, in the day could read. It wasn't kind of accessible as it, uh, books and, and uh, you know, the um, uh, proficiency and, and, and literacy is not kind of what it is right now. And so not many could read. And so if you were a teacher, uh, you had some status. There was some symbol with that. He's writing to Jewish believers. And so they would have known and, and kind of... Uh, been a part of this concept of the rabbi, right? And the person who was the rabbi, the teacher, was, was sort of held in high regard. And so here in the church, something similar was kind of going on is that there were many, it looks like, who wanted to become teachers and to stand with a place of authority. And, and what he's saying here, and this is still rings true for today, is that not many of you should become teachers because all who teach will be judged with greater strictness. See, it's not lost on me that as I stand up here each week, I, uh, with the words that I speak, have a way of um, either helping and contributing to what God has already perfectly written, right? I know that I'm not adding anything to his word, but I'm helping to, that's what teaching is, it's expounding on truths that God has given, but I know that the words that I speak have a way of, of I mean, it could distract or distort or, or uh, take away from what God has written. So there's, there's a strictness to that. There's a, a, a judgment that comes with that. And what he's saying is because the tongue is so difficult to tame that maybe you need to think twice before you pursue after this position of teaching. He acknowledges that all of us, we all make mistakes, right? He says we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. What's the point that he's making there? Is he, is he saying that, that if you are perfect in what you say, that, that there is no sin in you? Uh, sort of. What he's saying is, is that there's probably not anybody who is perfect in what he says. Right? Like, perf- perfect, as he's using it there, is maturity. If someone is able to not stumble in any way in the things that he says, then he is probably fully matured fully sanctified, like fully, you know, beyond uh, where the starting point, because that is a difficult thing to do. In other words, uh, what he's saying is, is that if you're able to control your tongue, you're probably have the rest of your life in check, because that is one of the trickiest things that you can possibly do, is to tame that tongue, right? He's showing the severity of it. He's saying, listen, it is difficult. And because it's difficult, We need to draw our attention toward it. It's going to take some effort. It's not going to just naturally fall in line. We need to understand the ramifications of what our tongue can do and what's going to happen if we don't bridle the tongue and control our uh, tongue in this way. 
That's the first truth. The second truth, let me give it to you and I'll show it to you in scripture. It's this, the tongue is tiny but powerful. It's tiny but it's powerful. He uses two examples, two illustrations to show this. Look at verse three. He says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is tiny, but powerful. James uses two illustrations that would have been readily available, kind of a very easy picture for them. And the first is that of uh, the bit in the mouth of horses. And so I'm guessing we've all seen or kind of know um, uh, what this kind of looks like, right? It's just that little metal piece that goes into the horse's mouth. And um, I've got corrected on this because I, I couldn't come up with the word for reins. I called them, I said, I know this isn't right, straps. And still, I got like kind of raked over the coals. So reins, okay? Um, so the reins, when you pull on the reins, you move that bit and it's able to take this like thousand pound animal and move it wherever uh, the rider would desire, right? It, it's something so small can direct something so massive, so big, so much power behind that. He says, just this tiny bit, with the tiny bit, the rider can direct the horse where he would want it to go. They obey. We guide their whole body as well, just with the bit. The second illustration is like it. He's trying to double down to, again, show the importance of understanding this point. He says, look at the ships also. So they wouldn't have had ships like this, but this is how our ships kind of look today. Um, that's a lot of stuff, right? And if you're ordering some stuff on Amazon or whatever, it's probably starting there and kind of coming, making its way to you, okay? So that's, that's where it all uh, sort of... But there's like so much weight there, so much stuff, massive ship. And here's what's, what's going on here. We can't see it because it's under the water, but this huge, huge vessel, technology has not changed. I mean, it still is a rudder that's underneath that, that when that rudder turns, it is able to maneuver, in, and it takes a while, right, for a ship that big, but it's able to turn the entire ship just with that proportionately small, disproportionately small rudder, right? The proportion between that rudder and the size of the ship and what it can do. And this is what James is saying. He says, the so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And the reminder for us is this, is that, listen, we might not give much thought to the words that we speak, to the things that come out of our mouth, but we need to. Because even though, as far as body parts go, right, the tongue is relatively small in terms of our entire body, and the words that we speak, right, we can, we can on a dime, we can kind of, you know, say something, remark something, something, words can spill out, but they have such power with them. This week, um, uh, I saw on social media somebody, I don't know how even how this showed up on my feed. I'm not sure how this all happens, but um, uh, the story was kind of shared, and, and somebody was telling this account of this interaction that happened on a plane, and, and as this passenger was getting off, they turned around, and they just said one word. It was an extremely negative word, racially charged word, directed at this individual with the intention of hurting, 
injuring, cutting this person down. And the person that was sharing the story was not even the person that this word was directed at, but was a bystander watching it. And they shared that, that it affected them for, for, for hours, days, even weeks later. They were still sort of shook when they thought back to that moment and saw the vitriol and the, um, the disdain and, and kind of the, the intention with which this word was spoken. I mean, how can something that has just a few syllables take just, you know, not even a second to utter can then shake and turn someone's attitude, their emotions, their, their feelings, their worth. I mean, it can affect all of this. We have such power with the words that we speak. On the other side of it, again, I said earlier, and some of you have already kind of maybe thought about an example, but you can probably think back to a time when a teacher, when a coach, when maybe a parent or a friend spoke even the simplest of words into your life. And it was able to encourage and to build up, to give you like strength, to bring peace, to remind you of the truth, right? Words have such power. And church, we need to understand in the same way that a bit in the mouth of a horse can move that whole body, the rudder at the, um, in the place of, of a ship can turn and move that whole, even though uh, the ships are large, driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. The tongue is small, it is tiny, but it is powerful. That is why we need to give it attention, we need to think about it, we need to um, look to and, and ask the question, how is Jesus affecting and, and, and shaping the words that we say? Let's continue on in scripture, the second part of verse five, it says this, he kind of builds off this idea of tiny but powerful. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of, cre of beast and a bird and a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's truth number three about the tongue. It's this, the tongue is capable of great damage. There is a destructive nature to the tongue that James is making sure that we understand. And he, he uses some of these word pictures to sort of say and, and explain just how destructive the tongue can be. He begins with the picture of this, this forest being set ablaze by a small fire. And in recent years, uh, there's been you know, lots of talk and lots of examples, right, of, of, of fires, particularly out west, and every one of those fires, right, there's massive forests that are being consumed, houses, neighborhoods that are being consumed by these fires. Um, each and every one of those uh, fires started with either a single match, a single lighter, like just a tiny bonfire, right? It started somewhere small, and yet it grew to the place of consuming acres and acres, hundreds of acres, right? Even thousands of, like, there's acres being consumed by these fires. And he says, how great a fire, how great a forest, rather, is set ablaze by such a small fire. And he talks about the destructive nature of it. So here, there's kind of five pictures that he gives of the destructive nature of the tongue. The first is a fire. He says, the tongue is a fire. And so we recognize that, that it, it can, again, the words spoken can consume, they can eat up, they can damage. He uses a second picture. He says it's a world of unrighteousness. 
The idea is that there is so much packed into the words that we say. It's not just one isolated single incident, but, but rather it's a, it's a pathway to an entire world of unrighteousness exists in the speech and in the words that we say. Like with our tongue, there can be all sorts of evil that is generated by it. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life. That's the uh, third thing. It's a stain. It can be like a stain. Not always. It's capable of being a stain is what he's getting at, right? We've all experienced this. You get that new, that new shirt, right? Those new pants. You're looking good. You go out for dinner. You wear them to the, the, the restaurant, and, and, and what happens? Like, spill, for sure, every time, Right? Every time, right there, and then what, what happens as a result that like the, the outfit for sure is ruined. Maybe if you let it, your night is ruined now that you got this stain there. And he's saying the tongue is like this. It's set among our members, and it stains our whole body. You can have all these other things in check, right? You can have all the discipline and all the uh, service kind of worked out and, and all these great relationships around you, but yet if your tongue is constantly spouting off slander, gossip, lies, just unhelpful, unkind things, distracting, defeating comments, whatever it might be, that it can be a stain to the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. And he uses this point that every beast, every kind of beast, every bird, every reptile, sea creature can be and has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. Why? Fourth picture, it's a restless evil. It's capable of much destruction, constantly stirring and trying to, you know, figure out, find ways to destroy. And it says it's full of deadly poison. Again, without belaboring the point, there can be poison in the words that we speak. And again, why James is saying this, why, why the reminder for the church is that we have to understand just how dangerous this thing is that we have, right? We are carrying a loaded gun. And so if the gun is loaded, even if it's not, you need to understand, right, that it, it is capable of great harm. And it says, like, you can tame beasts. Every beast, bird of the field, reptile, sea creature, I'm sure my um, children, as they sit here, are going to uh, bring up this verse later, right? That like, see, Bible talks about pets. That's what pets are. We're in this little pet, pet world right now. Um, so that's kind of where my mind goes with that. But I actually remember um, kind of trying to tame my own beast when I was growing up. I had, I had a couple dogs growing up, and, and uh, my favorite dog was a golden retriever uh, named Bosco. And um, uh, it was my job when I was like 10, 11, something like that, to uh, clean up all of the um, little gifts that, that Bosco left around the yard, right? And so there was that little device. I don't know if they still make it, um, but the pooper scooper, right? And so I would kind of go out there with that and kind of like fill the bucket and sort of, you know, clean up everything. And then after a while, I was like, you know, I'm kind of tired of this. Like, I don't want to clean all of this up. And this is before YouTube or, you know, uh, things that I could kind of search. So maybe this is more common. I didn't know at the time. Just in my own mind, my own little 10-year-old mind, I thought to myself, I said, what would fix this problem? I'm going to give him a place to go to the bathroom. And so I told my dad, I said, Dad, is it okay if I dig a hole in the back of the yard? And our, our, our uh, yard backed up against this cornfield. And he's like, sure, why, what's the hole for? He's like, I have, I have an idea. I'm tired of cleaning up the yard after Bosco. And so I'm going to teach him to use that hole. He's like, I don't think it will work, but 
you are welcome to try, and if you do, more power to you, son. So I, I went out there with the shovel, and I dug the hole like a little bit, little bit deep, and so my plan was this. I waited by the window every time I let Bosco out. I waited for him to start to, you know, kind of find his, his spot, and I would run out like, no, and I would drag him all the way over to the hole. I would kind of position him over, and I'm like, there, go there. And he would kind of like look at me and like, I'm like, no, right there. Like that's, that's where you're going to go. And so after a while of doing that, like he would start to go and he'd like look and he's like, oh, you know, and like I'd like drag him over. So, and then one day it was so great, right? Because this is my, this is the end goal. I look out and there's Bosco and he's like kind of backing up to the hole. And he's like, he goes. And I never had to clean up again. Like every once in a while, he'd get a little lazy, didn't make it all the way to the back. And then he would sometimes, you know, not quite make it in. But I was okay with that. I would just go out with a shovel, kind of scoop it all in there. And then that was like the spot. It's amazing what you can teach and train beasts, right? We've seen this. If you've been on YouTube, you've seen, I'm sure, uh, all sorts of different animals. If you've been to SeaWorld or you've been to the zoo or you've watched, you know, sometimes you see those, those animal acts and, and, and what we are able to teach these wild, be- wild creatures what they can do. What's the point he's making there? He's like, every kind of beast can be tamed and we has been tamed by mankind, but... No human being can tame the tongue. The point is this. No human being, like with the exception of Jesus Christ, has been able to bridle and control the tongue to the degree that it is needed. All of us, all of us, if we think we can tame it, like I can tame that, right? No, you can't. It's full of destruction. You need help. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We have to understand that the tongue is capable of great damage. James continues in verse 9. He says this, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. Here's the fourth truth about the tongue. It's this, is that the tongue is inclined to inconsistency. This is sort of the default position or the position that our tongue tends to lean toward is an inconsistency. This is something that God is trying to root out of us, trying to grow us in. Because what's he noticing, right? What's, what's happening in the church? The church is gathering together. The band starts playing. The people raise up and they sing with beautiful voices and they declare blessing to God and, and, and all that he is and declare what he's done. And then the service ends and they walk out the door and then what happens is words of cursing is given toward men and women. And he's like, how can you do that? He's like, it ought not to be. Like you, with the same mouth, you just were praising the God and then you walk out the door. It says that every man, every woman, right, is in the likeness of God. That's what he says. He says, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So he's like, they're made in the likeness of God and, and with that same mouth that you just praise God for, you're now building, tearing down someone in the likeness of God. He's like, it's like a, 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 a fresh water pool producing salt water. He's like, is that possible? Can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? I think the point is this, is that James in this passage, and hopefully by now you've kind of gotten the sense of this, 
he's not concerned about a little slip of the tongue, little little slip of a word here or there, kind of a, a phrase spoken without discretion or perhaps in anger. Yes, we need to be concerned with that. It's not that that's unimportant. But what he's saying is, is look at the breadth of all the things that you're saying. Like stack up all the speech and the words that you're speaking. Like let's go back to the 2,000 or 6,000 or 16,000 words that you speak. If you look at all of them, what is it that is coming out? The point is this, is that our tongues are directly connected to our hearts. What is in our heart is the spring that produces the water that pours out. And so with it, we can produce and it kind of comes out either salt water or fresh water. Water that leads towards life and builds up. Water that tears down and leads to destruction. And the point is this. It's meant to convict and to challenge us. He says, if you look at your words and you look at the speech that you're speaking, and at some point, if a fig tree continues to produce olives, you're like, yeah, that's a fig tree. Well, it has olives. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's a fig tree. Like at some point, if it continues to produce olives, you're like, hey, man, that's not, a, that's not a fig tree. That's an olive tree. It keeps producing olives. What James is saying is that if your words continue to pour out death and destruction and, and unrighteousness and ungodliness, it's meant to be a warning sign for you and say, maybe you have never been redeemed and given a new heart to begin with. Your heart needs to be made new. And so I would just tell you this morning, if you're here and as you've been going through this, you're like, man, my words, my speech are like a fire, like deadly poison, like a world of unrighteousness. Then the the response is very simple. You need to repent and return and turn to the Lord and allow him to transform and change and give you a new heart to redeem you through the power and the work of Jesus If you've never been transformed by Jesus, then I wouldn't expect that some of those words would come out. But to those of you that have been saved, that you have been redeemed, maybe you're just challenged by, you know what? Yes, a lot of my words do line up with what I profess to be true about God, but there's a good portion of them that still are unaligned. I would say to you that, that, that you also need to repent and to acknowledge before our holy God that we have been careless, you have been careless with the words that you have spoken. Maybe that is the place that we need to get to this morning. And it's meant to convict. It's meant to challenge. It's meant to cut to our heart. And I don't want to soften it. And James isn't trying to pull the punch. What he's trying to say is, listen, you need to evaluate your heart. What do your words say about your heart? And the reality is this, that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us, this is the default position that we find ourselves in. This is the place that our tongues, and that should bring us to a place of praise and glory given to God. Who are we that he would receive us and forgive us of our evil, destructive, unrighteous speech? Yet he does. Through the power and work of Jesus Christ, we are offered forgiveness for the words that we have spoken. We say it all the time, but Jesus went to the cross for the sin of mankind, for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. And so he went to the cross for the words spoken in carelessness that we speak. That was one of the reasons that he had to die, was to pay for our sinful speech. 
And so we need to be, I think, convicted in, in where we stop and, and what we don't do, the words that we don't speak. We need to restrain our tongues, right, to, to hold back. And again, some of you are like, maybe I've got that down. Like, I don't have that many words. So I'm like, like you know, my chance, my at-bat is not like that, that low. So I, I, can, I can, you know, swing it a few more here. But I think biblical maturity is not all is not just about putting off, right? Every time it talks about this call to action that we see throughout Scripture, it's about a putting off and a putting on. And so if we restrain our speech and kind of stop with the slander, stop with the gossip, stop with the crude, the crude joking, the crass speech, it's also about a putting on. And so there needs to be an edification to our speech. There needs to be new words that are spoken, and, 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 and there's some direction that is given. I skipped over it, but I meant to, um, uh, I wanted to share a list when I was speaking of the great damage um, from Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards recognized this is the destructive nature of the tongue. So he, for himself, to kind of add some protection, give him, himself some, um, some guardrails by which to uh, function, kind of put together a few resolutions specifically for himself regarding his tongue. This is what Jonathan Edwards um, put together. Uh, the first one here, it says, uh, resolved never to say anything against anybody, but when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honor and of love to mankind, agreeable to the lowest humility and the sense of my own faults and failings, agreeable to the golden rule, often when I have said anything against anyone to bring it to and try to strict by the test of this resolution. The second resolution here, resolved, in narrations to never speak anything but the pure and simple verity. He wants to tell the truth, like what happened, and to stick to that, not expand beyond it or try and embellish it. And number three, resolve never to speak evil of any except I have some particular good call to it. Let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. Again, Jonathan Edwards, uh, one of the leaders in the church not that long ago, recognized, again, the destructive nature of the tongue and said, you know, for myself, I need to have some, some boundaries. Where is God calling me to? What are the things that I need to put on? And for us, I think there is a similar, I think some resolutions maybe that we need to make in this. And I found this extremely helpful, but in my study this, this week, I, I, I found um, these 20 resolutions that were put together by um, uh, Sinclair Ferguson. And in all of them, he, he actually pulled from and, and, and kind of points to in the book of James. So we've been walking through the book of James. We're, we're over halfway done. We're going to continue through the book of James. But James is speaking to speech. He's like redressing speech all the time. And there's all these resolutions. And so if we're going to put off and kind of restrain our speech, then where are we supposed to, uh, to, 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 to give our speech to? And, and what, what should it look like? And they think these will be helpful for us. I'll tell you at the, at the start, there's 20 of them. There's no way you're going to write them all down. But I want to give them to you in the whole breadth of what they are. And then this week, I'll send them out. They'll come out in the weekly. If you don't get the weekly, uh, fill out that Connect card. You'll get the weekly or send me an email. I'll make sure that you um, get them. So don't feel like you need to take these notes. We'll get these out to you. But these are the resolutions that we can see right from the book of James, from God's word. What is he calling us? So if we're not supposed to speak like this, we know the destruction that's possible. What are we then to speak like? Here they are. Number one, resolved to ask God for wisdom to speak and to do so with a single mind. James 1, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him in faith with no doubting. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything. He is like a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Number two, resolved uh, to boast only in my exaltation in Christ or humiliation in the world. James 1, 9 and 10 says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Number three, resolved to set a watch over my mouth. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. James 1, 13. Number four, resolve to be constantly quick to hear and slow to speak. Remember that, James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Number five, resolved to learn the gospel way of speaking to the rich and to the poor. James 2, 1 through 4, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Number six, resolve to speak in the consciousness of the final judgment. James 2.12 says, so speak, so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Number seven, resolve to never stand on anyone's face with words that demean, despise, or cause despair. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving you them the things they need for the body, what good is that? Number eight, resolve never to claim a reality I do not experience. James 3.14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Number nine, resolve to resist quarrelsome words as marks of a bad heart. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Man, doesn't our world need this as it relates to social media today? I probably should have said this a lot earlier in the sermon, but I'm saying it now. Uh, the words of speech are not just the words spoken to each other, right? Because we communicate a whole lot with our written words these days. Some of you, like, get annoyed if your phone rings. You're like, why, why, why is someone calling me? They can, don't they know about texting, Right? It's 2022. We've been doing this for a long time. Like, shoot me a text. I'll answer that. And um, I'm still old school. I'll still call you. So just if you see your pastor calling, pick up. Um, but, uh, you know, we text and we, uh, we, we tweet and we uh, post and we kind of send these, these we like, publish all the time, right? How good would it be if we would resolve to resist quarrelsome words as a mark of a bad how many times are we quick to like want to respond or to post or to you know, react to the things that we see? Number 10, resolve to never speak evil of another. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Number 11, resolve to never boast in what I will accomplish. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Resolve to always speak as one who is subject to the providences of God. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, and we live and do this or that. Resolve to never grumble, knowing that the judge is at the door. Parents, Teach your kids this principle. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged 
Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Number 14, resolve to never allow anything but total integrity in my speech. What a lofty but necessary or such a good resolution for us, right? It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, by, uh, by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Number 15, resolved to speak to God in prayer whenever I suffer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Resolved to sing praises whenever I am cheerful. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Resolved to ask others, uh, the prayer of others, rather, when I am sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Number 18, resolve to confess it whenever I have failed. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, James 5, 16. Resolve to pray for one another when I am together with others in need. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And number 20, last one, resolved to speak words of restoration when I see another wander. My brothers, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Listen, church, the reality is this. As we resolve to speak in this way, it speaks and kind of gives, uh, I think, witness to who we are the change that has taken place in our hearts, right? We have the opportunity to speak words that build up and to encourage and to challenge and to instruct and to comfort those around us that desperately need to hear those words. There are words that people need to hear from you that you are being called to speak. And when you do, it gives witness to who you are and where you're from. Uh, I've shared many times before, my wife and I spent 11 years down in North Carolina. I grew up around here. Okay, so I have a Midwestern accent. It's been kind of tempered a little bit by my years in the South. But I got to tell you, I heard all the time in my years in North Carolina, hey, where are you from and why do you say bag like that? <laughs> and I tried so hard, right? Like I, I didn't call soda pop. I sometimes even call it Coke if I'm like with family in Texas and doing that thing. I don't understand that. But I learned, you know, I try and mask it, right? Uh, shopping carts, you call buggies. Buttons, you don't press, you mash them. I did all that. But they would still see and they were like, hey, you don't sound like you're from around here. And sure enough, like my accent sort of gave uh, a little tip or kind of told that, that, I, that I was from somewhere different. My hope is this, church, and what James is calling us to is that as we speak these words, that people around us will take notice. That people at the party, that people down the block, that people in your workplace will say, man, where are you from? You, you must not be from around here. Because that's, that's, that's a different accent, right? There's a different speech that you're using. That's not the speech I typically hear. See, this is what God wants to do with these changed hearts. He wants life to be able to pour out of us. He's called us to this place that we would be able to give witness to the, the change and the transformation and the testimony even by the very words that we speak. Church, this is what God has done in our hearts and would our words, would our speech reflect this change. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you stepped down. God, to cover and to pay for the multitude of sins that we have, uh, God, committed. Um, even our speech, Lord, was worthy 
and necessary of a sacrifice. And Jesus, you came to redeem and to make new our sinful hearts. God, we give you praise for that this morning. Lord, I pray that we would recognize and see all the ways that you are at work in us. God, that you are working to transform even the speech, the words that we uh, say. God, help us to be careful with the things that we do. Lord, would you do that? Lord, we make a resolution, but we know that it's you who wills and works in us. God, to perfect that which you have already done and are doing in us. And so, Lord, to that end, we pray that, that we would give testimony to who you are, Lord, and what you have done. God, help us to be instruments of life, wisdom, godliness. God, that you would speak through us as your servants. Lord, as we spend time in your word. God, right even from James, how many times, God, have you instructed us on what we are to say and what our speech is to look like? God, more and more would our speech be seasoned with salt and reflective, God, of the life transformation that you have done and are continuing to do in us. God, help us to that end, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.